as Chris said, it's First Romans, and uh, it's from uh, verse 1 to verse 17. In fact, in my Bible, in the Pew Bible, which is to be found on 1177, halfway through it says, Paul's longing to visit Rome. Uh, so starting at verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who, as to his human nature, was a descendant of David, and who, through the spirit of holiness, was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through him and for his name's sake, we receive grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through his, through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, when I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers in all the times and I pray that now at last by God's will the way may be opened for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest amongst you just as I have had amongst the other Gentiles. I am obliged both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to be wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel and also to you who are at Rome. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of anybody who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. For in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous righteous will live by faith. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. Thanks, uh, Rodan. Well, friends, let's come to God in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we ask that your blessing will be upon the teaching and preaching of this word, that your spirit will speak to our hearts, Lord. And I just humbly want to commit myself to you, Lord, and thank you for the privilege and honor of sharing your word with your precious people. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, friends, it's a great joy once again to uh, be, be here together as God's people, to sit under... Uh, his word. It's a wonderful privilege. It's something that we don't take for granted. 
it doesn't happen in many places, uh, especially in, in some parts of the world, but we are so blessed here. Let me begin with a question. If there was one good news item you wanted to receive that can change your life, what would it be? If there's just one good news item that you, were, you wanted to receive that can change your life, what would that be? Have a think about that for a moment. What, what would it really be? Would it be, for instance, the news that someone has left a million dollars for you as part of their will? Wow, would that change your life? Would that good news change your life? Hey, what, what do you think? Come on, you respond, yeah? Mm, you're not sure, right? Uh, well, maybe it will. Or perhaps someone has offered to pay for an overseas holiday for you. Accommodation, flights, all included. Boy, would that be good news? I was speaking to a friend the other day and he said to me, Chris, uh, would you like to perhaps go to New York? I said, what do you want? What do you mean, brother? What do you think if somebody would pay the full bill for you? I said, wow, that would be great. I'm waiting for the check in the mail. It doesn't come as yet. <laughs> Not really. Well, or perhaps uh, you had a series of medical tests for a serious health condition. And the results came out with the all clear. That is good news, right? That is good news. Some of us avoid going to the doctors and getting the full blood test done because you feel, oh man, I don't want to go there. I just don't want to get the results. I, I had a full comprehensive blood test and I waited for about a week before I actually went back. And I didn't actually want to go back there. But my dear wife said, you must go and get the results, Chris. Otherwise, I'll call and make the appointment for you. Anyway, I went, it was all, thankfully, all okay. We love good news stories because it does something to us, right? Uh, it makes us glad. It causes us uh, to celebrate. Just uh, this, this last week, uh, there was a wonderful good news uh, story. I wonder if you, if you heard of it. The story of a 19-year-old girl uh, went off the road in Canberra and a car rolled down an embankment. Uh, but she survived on creek water for seven days after a car had rolled right down the embankment. Uh, they did not know what happened to, the, to her, but she survived. And the detective sergeant uh, said this, it was a great moment. It's one of those moments I think you'll never forget. It was a miracle. She was lost. No one knew what happened to her. And she was found. She survived. What a good news story. Well, this morning, we're going to take a break from our study in Ephesians. And I just want to focus today on Romans. Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, where Paul speaks of news that can change your life and mine, if it's not already done so, forever when you believe in this good news. It is God's good news to a broken, depraved, struggling world. We are all saddened by what we see on our news channels, aren't we? We see so many refugees, thousands of people uh, fleeing from persecution. When I received the email last night, I sat in my office and I, I was just, I felt so heavy in my heart to know of our brothers and sisters in Christ who are right now being persecuted. A very sad situation. We live in a world of sadness, but yet they call it a modern world. We call it the world of the 21st century. We call it the world that has moved on. We hear that expression all the time. We are in the new world order. Are we? Really? 
But this world is struggling. And so there is good news. And Paul says this in Romans 1.16. I like you to keep your Bibles open. If possible, please, to Romans chapter 1. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. We're going to look at this passage under the title, as I said, The Good News That Can Change You. Three points I want to look at this morning. The origin of the gospel, 1A. The power of the gospel, 1B. And the offer of the gospel, 1C. Well, friends, the origin of the gospel. What is the origin of the gospel? By this I mean, was the gospel something that was invented by some human being or some group of monks somewhere? What is the gospel? Well, before we look into this further, let me state what this word gospel actually means. It comes from two particular words uh, in the original. It means good and news, or good and proclamation. It is, when you combine both words together, it means good news. It means good tidings. It has a glad tidy note attached to this. It is good news. And Paul goes on to explain and give his readers an exposition, I believe, of what the original, uh, what the origin of the gospel is. And as we look at this passage, at, in this text, it will become clear to us, the gospel is God's gospel. Alright? The gospel is God's gospel. Notice what Paul states in, in chapter 1, uh, verses um, in 1b. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Romans 1, 1b. So the gospel is the gospel of God. And so what we see here is that this gospel has its origin in God. Uh, the well-known uh, reformed teacher and preacher, Dr. R.C. Sproul, puts it this way. The gospel Paul is called to proclaim is not merely good news about God. Rather, the gospel is God's possession. It is his property. In this regard, the original owner and author of the gospel is God himself. That's wonderful for us to be reminded. That the original author and the owner of the gospel is God himself. He is the author of the gospel. God is the one who initiated the gospel. This is the gospel that he promised beforehand through his prophets. That's why we say God has spoken by his prophets and by his word. He has promised through the prophets and through the scriptures. Now when did God promise the gospel? Takes us right back to Genesis. Genesis 3:14 and 15. Let me very quickly read this. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And then I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise is healed. You see, friends, when God created this world, everything was good. There was no rebellion in the created order. Genesis chapters 1 to chapter 2, verse 3. But Adam and Eve, the crown of God's creation, disobeyed God. We heard the kid's story this morning, didn't we? About the tree of life. 
In doing so, Adam and Eve alienated themselves from their creator. And the Lord could have just condemned them right away. He indeed judged them for their sins. Genesis 3, 16-19. But, God showed his grace in not judging Adam and Eve first. He pronounces his righteous judgment upon them, but he also curses the tempter. The Lord said to the serpent, you're going to crawl. You're going to eat the dust. You are cursed above all livestock. The serpent will crawl upon the ground. It will crawl and, uh, upon its belly and lick the dust. Snakes. They're terrible, aren't they? Snakes. You don't want to get close to snakes. You just don't know when they will strike. And notice the text. He will bruise the heel of the woman's offspring. Or another translation says seed. And a seed will bruise the serpent's head. The serpent in this passage is no ordinary uh, reptile. Who is the serpent? Who is the serpent? Well, Revelation chapter 12, 9. The great dragon was thrown down. That ancient serpent who is called what? The devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. So the serpent, this is Satan in the form of the serpent. And it had a massive conversation here with, uh, with Eve and, and there was deception there. The one who said will be bruised, the one who will suffer a crushing blow is Satan himself for the, and the seed will find its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. Jesus defeated Satan on the cross, Colossians chapter, three, uh, chapter 2. This is the gospel that God promised beforehand. And this is why Christian theologians have called this announcement in Genesis 3.15, the proto-evangelium. That is that this is where the first gospel of God's gospel was preached right there in the garden. That's an amazing story. When God could have turned away from Adam and Eve and put upon them and us every judgment, but he chose not to. And he preaches grace and he gives good news to Adam and Eve and not just to them. To all of mankind. It, is a, it, it represents God's announcement in history. He has been working in history from the very beginning. It is his plan of salvation. And we cannot understand, friends, who Jesus is or what he came to do apart from understanding God's plan in history as set out in Genesis chapter 3. God promised the Redeemer. And Paul goes on to show us how God's plan was spoken and revealed to us. Look at uh, Romans chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. It was revealed through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David. This is the plan and was made known to us through the prophets. Isaiah, for example, speaks of it. All the prophets spoke of the coming of Jesus. Clear? Yeah? What is the greatest chapter that, uh, that Isaiah wrote about the coming of Jesus? I mean, you can have two. Isaiah chapter 9. For us, for unto us a child is born. 
unto us a son is given. You know, we will be soon celebrating, I must mention it, Christmas. Already there are ads on, on the radio reminding us about Christmas. You see, God promised his son. You see, Christianity is a revealed faith. Not based on some human philosophy or speculation. The authority of the gospel is in God. And the coming of Jesus, his his son, was his plan revealed through the prophets. Revealed in the word of God. And displayed clearly for all mankind to see. And this is not some made up story. It's biblically based. It is evidentially based. And it was displayed clearly with the coming of his son, Jesus. And no wonder when Christ was born, fear not, the angel said, For behold, I bring good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day. Where? In the city of David. And Paul connects David in Romans chapter 1. City of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. Christ the Lord. Amazing news, friends. And so Paul says that he is not ashamed of this gospel. You see, think for a moment about the context here in in the Roman world. You see, Rome was the commercial, political and cultural center of the first century world. In one sense, you might say, all roads led to Rome. (laughs) All roads led to Rome. And the news of a crucified Jesus simply did not make sense to them. Crucifixion was the worst way to die. And the simple message, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, lacked the philosophical and secular thinking at the time. They would mock at this message. Instead, Paul is proud of the gospel and eager to preach it and proclaim it. Why? Because this gospel is God's gospel. Its origin is in God. And it does not, and, and, and he goes on to show further why Paul is not ashamed of this good news that can change a person's life forever. And so we move to the power of the gospel. Notice, friends, in our text here this morning, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why, why, why? 1B. Because it is the power of God. Do you see that? (laughs) The word that Paul uses here for power is the word, uh, you you get this word dynamite, or you might get this word dunamis. It's, it's, It's dynamic power. It's dynamic. It's dynamite. It's something that blows up things. Blows up a mountain. Breaks rocks. And Paul says this gospel is dynamic. It is dynamite. Why is it dynamite? Because the all-powerful God is behind it. Now let me say two things about the powerfulness of the gospel. There are many things, but let me just say two things. Firstly, it is powerful because in Jesus, God did something that no one could have ever done. And secondly, it is powerful because of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. It's all there in chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. Paul speaks about that. Look at verse 4, chapter 1. And who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. So two things, very quickly. The cross of Christ is the heart of the gospel. 
when we speak of the cross, we must speak of it in this way. It is the cross of Christ. Right? The cross itself doesn't save you. It is the cross of Christ. Yes, I know there is that connection. But it is Christ on the cross. It is Christ on the cross that makes that massive change. Yes, it stands for the salvation we have in Christ. But it is, it is the cross of Jesus Christ. In Isaiah 53, Isaiah writes about the substitutionary sin-bearing death of Christ. I had a discussion recently with someone who said to me, well, oh, it was brought to my attention, what do you think of this, of the justice of God? Can one person pay for the crimes of others? For example, you go to a court and uh, you're the one who's committed the crime. Can someone else come and say, well, I'll go to jail for the crimes of Chris? <laughs> well, what, what would happen? Would the court accept that? If I've committed a crime and I deserve to go to jail, but someone else comes and says, well, I'll take that crime, let Chris go. <laughs> Probably it won't work. But in terms of our sinfulness, we could have never paid that price. Because none of us are perfect. And the only justice that God will accept is his son dying in my place as a substitute. And so when we think of the gospel, when we think of Jesus, we need to think of him as our substitute. And what theologians call substitutionary atonement. That is that he stood in my place because I could have never stood there. Did you see that? Christ is our substitute. Remember that, friends. Christ is our substitute in dying, is basic to our faith. In fact, we could safely say that all other elements of salvation merely surround this great core fundamental truth. Our sin was dealt with on the cross by Jesus, the Son of God, who gave his life for us as your substitute and mine. He offered a perfect sacrifice for our sins, satisfied the justice of God. And this is one of the reasons that makes the gospel good news. Christ died for us. He has stood in our place before God's judgment seat. He has borne our sins. God has done something powerful on the cross. Jesus, his son, was crucified on the cross for our sins that we could have never done. And so Paul puts that out very clearly when he says, look at that text. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, what happened? Anyone? What does the text say? Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. Though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But verse 8 is a key text in Romans. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Oh, why we were so great and so good. Christ died for us. Is that what the text says? I'm reading it wrong now. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, friends, I mean, this, this truth, I have still not kind of worked it all out in my heart. I, 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 I don't know about you, but this, this blows me away. I stand in awe, I stand humbly before God. As I was preparing this text again, it hit me so hard, I must tell you that. Because I cannot comprehend 
the depth of God's love for a sinner like me. Can you? Maybe you can, but I can't. That's, that's the thing. You see, God demonstrates his love for us in this Bible. We were still sinners. Christ died for us. You see, my dear brothers and sisters, friends in Christ, do you doubt God's love for you this morning? Do you feel unloved? Do you doubt that he loves and cares for you? You see, do you feel for a moment when you feel down and depressed and you're mentally just down in the dumps and you just feel so low? There are moments... I think there are moments in our lives when we go through the valley of the shadow of death, as it were. When we go through the, 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 the challenges of life. When you see other people going through the challenges of life. It hits you. It hits me. When I see people in our own congregation struggling, when they're in hospital, I come back home. You can ask my wife. I always say to Rose, I just feel so hurt. I just feel so... Not, not just hurt, I just feel so down because I see our brothers and sisters in Christ struggling in hospital. It hits me hard. But I always remind them and I remind myself that no matter what condition we might be mentally or physically, if they love Jesus Christ and they know Christ, this is always certain for a believer that God's love is amazing and will never leave you in Christ. How's that? He will not abandon you to trust in his son Jesus. Yes? You're going to say hallelujah to that? It's okay, it's a Presbyterian church, you can have freedom to do that. Amen to that, isn't it? Amen to this, friends. Because right there, in your situation, Knowing that this God sent his son as a substitute for you and me. And that he died in my place. And he embraces me with his love. And he carries me by his grace. And he empowers me by his spirit. Oh, what a great blessing that is for every person who trusts and knows this amazing God. That's the gospel. See, God has done something. He persuades us that he loves us. This is, this, is, this is the staggering news that still amazes me. And I said, it's beyond my comprehension whatsoever. But then, friends, as you keep moving on, if Jesus stayed dead on the cross, then it is no gospel. In fact, Paul himself said this. This is the second aspect of the powerfulness of the gospel. You see, Jesus did rise from the dead. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 17. If Christ had not been raised, your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. But Jesus rose from the dead. He came out of the tomb. And the gospel is the power of God. Because Jesus is alive. Right? That's why it is the power of God. You see, Jesus' resurrection from the dead cuts through every cosmic power in this world. And at the center of Christianity is not a place... It's not a wailing wall or a temple. At the center of Christianity is not a dome or some rock or shrine. At the center of Christianity is Christ crucified and raised from the dead. That's the gospel. Correct? John Piper, a great preacher and teacher of God's word, says this. My message for believers and all who will listen is this. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and what became of him after his resurrection shows the greatness of God's power towards us now in this life. Sum it up with three words. 
Resurrection power now to live and die for the glory of Christ. Resurrection power now. Dear friends, the resurrection of Jesus makes a difference. It turns night into, the, into day. It turns despair into hope. It turns brokenness to fulfillment. It turns death into life. And the writer to this to the Roman church, the writer of this letter, he experienced this, did he not? And Saul, still breathing threats and murders, murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, asked him letters and so forth, that he might go and attack people on the way. And what happened? What happened to this guy Saul on the way? Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and fall into the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Note the response, note the response here from Paul, from Saul. He said, who are you? Curious, who are you? Lord. And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. This is Jesus, the risen Savior, confronts Saul. And was Saul's life changed? <laughs> Humanly speaking, we won't have lots of the, the, the New Testament without Paul, right? I mean, this guy is a great theologian. Look at Romans. You try and work through the book of Romans. What a book that is. And Paul's life was changed and became the greatest preacher and teacher in God's providence. He came under the conviction of the Spirit of God, came under the power of the risen Christ, and his life was changed and transformed. And Paul now says, I am not ashamed of this gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation. And so we have this amazing moment when Jesus met Paul. Not that Paul met Jesus. No, no, no. It's always the other way around. Christ meets us. He met Jesus. Jesus met him and changed and transformed his life. I want to ask you a question this morning, friends. How about you? Have you had an encounter with the Lord Jesus as he changed and touched your life? As he brought you to conversion? As he brought you to a point that you say, Jesus, I want to thank you that you took my place. You died for me. You rose again from the dead. This is the powerful gospel that you've given and shared and proclaimed to the world. And I have received this in faith. Because that leads us to our third point, which is the offer of the gospel. For salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Notice that it is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. Salvation is a key word here. It means deliverance. Salvation simply means to be saved or rescued. My question is this, or my questions are these. What are we delivered from? You might say, well, what are we saved from? What? We are delivered from the wrath of God himself. We can never make ourselves right with God apart from Jesus. Look at verse 17. We are delivered from death. Correct? The grave is not the end. Right? To the believer. When we believe in Jesus, what happens when we die? 
We go to heaven. We heard the kids talk, right? We get to heaven. How? By faith in Jesus. We are delivered from God's judgment for our sin. We are delivered from a place called hell. If there is heaven, then there is hell. There is heaven and there is hell. There is eternal life and eternal death. And believing in Jesus takes us from hell and puts us in heaven. Right? And that is the great blessing of the gospel. And only the gospel of Christ has the power to do that and to save us. And to all who believe, that is those who put their faith in Christ alone, they will be saved. Paul says there is no distinction. He says first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. I think the priority here is a theological and a historical one in that God chose the Jews first. But everyone is saved exactly the same way, by faith. So this morning, God says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Do you? Do you believe in Jesus this morning? Do you put your faith in him? Do you want to put your faith in him? Do you trust this Christ? Perhaps you've sat in this church for I don't know how long, and you're still kind of searching and wavering away, and you're wondering and you're thinking and you're reflecting. Maybe today's the day that you'll say, God, I want to thank you for the gospel of Christ. So in summary this morning, we have seen the origin of the gospel, the power of the gospel, and the offer of the gospel. That it is powerful. It's not to be ashamed of. What about us this morning? If you're a Christian, how is the good news of the gospel of Christ changing and transforming your life? How is it shaping your decisions in life? The world may deride and mock and scorn Christianity as they do. But remember, the gospel is the power of God. Never be ashamed of it. The church must proclaim it, must preach it, and must uphold it. Right? I began with the question, if there was one good news item you wanted to receive that can change your life, what would it be? I'm going to leave that question with you to ponder and think about what Christ has done. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God, Paul says, to everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gospel of God. That he is the author, the initiator, the owner of the gospel. We thank you that in his son, our sin was nailed to the cross. The justice and love of God was met in Christ. And through faith and belief in Christ alone, we have salvation. This morning, if there is anyone here, who does not know Jesus as his or her Savior, may today be the beginning of a new journey of faith. And to those of us who know Christ, we pray, Lord, that we will constantly preach the gospel to ourselves, for we will see our own sin, and we will see the amazing grace of God in spite of our sin in Christ. Help our lives to be shaped by the gospel of Christ. 
in Jesus name amen